We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, number 211. Andrew is up in Vermont right now. We're having a little bit of technical difficulties, so you got me running the show, doing the intro for the first time in a very long time. Andrew, how is the weather up in Vermont? Uh, well, the weather is pretty good. It's actually supposed to be pretty warm, which is weird for this time of year. But I think what we should do is we should tweet out that picture of me. And this bootleg setup we've got in my in my the corner of the bed and breakfast of, that I'm staying at. It looks like you're sitting in a chair from like 1973. Yeah, it smells like 1973 too. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting setup you got going on. That's for sure. I'm well, definitely... that's what I do for this show. I, I rain, sleet, or snow, whatever it is, what I'm dealing with. No Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi. I'm on my girlfriend's work Wi-Fi hotspot right now, trying to trying to come at you guys here. Yeah, so full disclosure, we have tried Skype like 15 times through uh, through an actual Wi-Fi connection. Not so not so good. Didn't work so well. So now we're on a hotspot on the cell phone using Skype. So we have a digital <laughs> signal to try to improve it as much as we possibly can. We'll see how good I can get this in in uh, in uh, post and see if we can actually edit it to something that's uh, listenable. So, but hey, we're, we got it in right. Yeah, the good news is, though, we've got Brian Hoke coming up later in the show, which I talked to him a few days ago. So that part 
will be uh, fully professional, that part of the episode. Very professional, as always. Yeah, so Brian Hoke is joining us. And good news about Brian Hoke, we have some, uh, I, this is breaking news, I guess. He's going to be one of our, our first reoccurring guests this season. Um, we've uh, we've talked with him, and we're actually going to have him come on you know, at least once a month throughout the season, so we'll be able to get his perspective and things. Um, all Yankees, obviously, he is the MLB Yankees guy for, um, or for, for MLB.com. He's the one that, that runs it. So he's got a lot of uh, good insight. I think Brian does a very good job. He's doing some video stuff now. Um, he actually has a he's running a, a podcast as well, basically for MLB and the Yankees. So I'm excited about that. Me too. Yeah, Brian was great, and, and we talked to him at the at some point last summer, and uh, he was one of my favorite guests that we had on last summer. Not that the rest of them weren't good as well, but we also. So I also talked to Brian about his book coming up, The Baby Bombers, which I think our listeners just have a, a hunch that our listeners might be interested in that book. Yeah, definitely. Uh, before we start getting into some of the topics, just want to go quickly over these events. We've actually had some changes because the Yankees have announced their promotion schedule. I'm sure everybody saw it last week. Um, the the big the big one that they were promoting really was the Aaron Judge bobblehead with the uh, um, like May the Fourth be with you, and it was him as you know dressed in like an Obi Wan robe. Uh, so that's a big one, but they've made some, so they announced this and this was, this is like double, triple top secret before the Yankees get uh, announced their promotion schedules. Like, there's a lot of people within the Yankees that don't even know about this. Um, so I think what we're doing actually is we're going to be tweaking some of the games that we're having this year for the event towards the end of the season. Hopefully this doesn't screw anybody up, but it's going to be some of the later games, but I think this is, uh, adding a, a just a much better element. Actually, I'm, I'm pumped up because we're able to now get around, uh, with with these events, we're able to do two more like big time events at Yankee Stadium. So obviously the first one's April seventh. That one's locked up. Uh, May twenty sixth, locked up. Those first two are locked up. They're on sale in the fan shop. Go check them out. Um, the next one, June twenty ninth, is a Friday night at Boston. That one's not changing. That one's locked up. The uh, the the July and August games are the two that we're we're very think we're very much thinking about swapping. And it's really only a week off, uh, but I think we are going to make these changes. Is uh, July twenty second is going to be the new date, and that's actually going to be a Sunday night ESPN game against the Mets, Subway Series against the Mets. I think that is uh, a very very obvious choice to what, switch that up. The inventory is there for us. Um, and uh, we're able to get our section 205 and 206. So I think that's what we're going to be doing. July 22nd is that change, if you're noting that. And then the second one is the, the, the second change is going to be August 18th, uh, would be changed from the 11th date was when we originally had it. And August 18th, if, you, if that date rings a bell, it's because it's the 20-year 1998 celebration, um, and that's a, a 1 o'clock game right now. Uh, on August 18th. So that is a cool thing because what we can do is back in the uh, 2016, we did 20 years breakfast, breakfast beers for 20 years for the 96 guys. And now we could do it for the 98 guys. So I think it's a logical change. And we're going to be doing it for the 99 guys and the Mm -hmm. 2000 guys, the 2009 guys. And maybe I don't want to jinx anything. Don't do it. Don't even say it. (laughs) 2038, maybe? We're, we're, we're hoping that our kids are going to be uh, putting together some 20-year anniversaries down the line, yeah. Right. Um, September 15th versus Toronto is the last date. That's the original thing, uh, original date in September that we had, so that one is not changing. Um, so keep an eye out for that. I'm actually going to put together a, an entire post on Bronx Pinstripes this uh, this week that, that outlines everything about it, and then uh, you're going to start seeing more of these events popping up on the fan shop for, uh, for you to purchase the tickets. Um, a quick note on the fan shop, we got two new t-shirts that are out. 
definitely go check them out. Murder, uh, Modern Day Murderers Row shirt, which is badass. Uh, shout out to Brian Begley, who is a huge Yankees fan in Jersey. He's a, v- a phenomenal illustrator. Um, and he, uh, he and he and I kind of collaborated on that one, but he was the illustrator that did the majority of that shirt. And then the second shirt in the fan shop right now is in Cashman. We trust, I teased this, what, two weeks ago, three weeks mm-hmm. ago, this was kind of my little secret, double secret private project. Um, I love it. I'm, I'm very happy with the way it came out. It's one of my favorite shirts. And it's, uh, if you haven't recognized it, people are like, he's got too much hair. I'm like, no, he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't have too much hair. It's Brian Cashman in 1998 when everybody knows that gif of him, like giving the double thumbs up to the dugout. That's him. Yeah. So that was, uh, it's an ode I think to the 98 right Yankees after, too. I think that that gif is like right after Scott Broach just hit one of his home runs off Trevor Hoffman. Yeah. So it's a, it's a perfect gift. It's used all the time. It's uh it's perfect because one, this is his 20th year. It's the, uh, you know, the first championship for him as general manager, he has a ring from 96, clearly wearing it in the t-shirt um, and in the gif. So those are the two, uh, two new additions to the fan shop. Plus uh, we're adding a whole bunch of new stuff as far as sizes, like kid size. I just had a kid obviously. So I got to add kid sizes. I mean, that, that makes sense. I have to clothe my child. Um, so he said, he's plenty get, of baby Yankee fans out there. Yeah. He's going to get, uh, he's going to get some, some gear from the, from the fan shop. So, um, it's kind of all the housekeeping we have. We can get right into the topics. Obviously we got some people throwing, uh, some grown men throwing balls back and forth. Beautiful stuff. Pitchers and catchers. We got some, uh, some, some big boys arriving with Aaron, uh, Aaron judge and, and, uh, Giancarlo Stanton coming into camp. So things are starting to happen. Does it get you juiced up when the players arrive before they actually have to? Does yeah. that does that yes. get does that make you get, yeah? Does it make you feel all warm and fuzzy inside? Well, it makes me feel like they care even just a little bit more. I I right. like it. I like I, it makes me feel like they've missed their their boys. Um, and then Stanton's case that he wanted to get he wanted to get there so badly he had to come early to meet his new uh, his new best friends. So I'm I'm excited about that. Isn't it funny how low we set the bar for professional athletes? It's like, just show up a day or two before you actually have to, and we will love you. Yeah. No, it's they're They have a very, but, but then again, when they're in the season, the bar is extremely high. And if they suck, then of we're course. killing them. So, right. yeah. Well, the thing is as fans, I and mean, you and I have mentioned this a million times, we want our players to care as much as we care as fans, or at least show that you care a lot it's the players that act like they don't give a shit those are the guys that piss us off that's the thing when you when you're in this uh in this game as a fan and you're so emotionally devoted to this you got to see that type of devotion from the guys that you're rooting for because if you see any kind of and i'm really glad actually that we don't have very many guys that have have like the um like the Jay Cutler face, you know what I mean? Like the, the face mm-hmm. of a guy that just doesn't care at all on the field. Like if we had one of those guys, I, it would drive me insane. I, and maybe Chase Headley was that for you, but none of the guys well, had been was, like that for me. There's a few other reasons for that. What about Robbie Cano though? Cause people always complain that Robbie Cano did not show it, did not act like he was showing enough hustle sometimes and that sort of thing. But that was kind of just his, his way of playing, he was so smooth. He was as smooth as butter out there. So that's, I think, why it was that way for Cano. Yeah, and I don't really think he gave the impression like the, it's more the facial expressions for me. It's like I, if I like Jay Cutler is a perfect example. Like that guy really looks like he doesn't give a shit at all. Like doesn't care like one bit. Looks like he jumped off the couch. No, it looks like he slowly moved off the couch and then like barely <laughs> walked into the game and just started playing. It like doesn't care. I don't feel like there's anybody like that on the team. No. And I think that this, like when you have a team full of young guys 
who have come up together. They're the core of the team. That energizes even maybe some of the older guys that might not have as much passion as they did 10, 15 years ago. And I think CC has talked about that a bunch. CC, I think, is one of the perfect team leaders. Um, couldn't pick a better, better guy, at least to be leading the pitching staff. But I remember last year he was mentioning in a lot of press conferences and a lot of different things that he was doing where the young guys energized the older guys, and that's what carried the team throughout the season. Yeah, and I think we first saw that within this, you know, the last five or six years of um, of, of the Yankees was the first time really was when uh, when A Rod went on that tear and and what what was that 2016, uh, 2015, yeah, when when they had that run towards the end, um, and we had we had guys like J.R. Murphy going out going out and like being the the boy wonder he was like a you know the kid in a, uh, mm-hmm. he was like a fraternity kid out there. Like that was the yeah. type of stuff, and they were talking about how it just absolutely, you know, gets them going. And I think that's a real thing. It's absolutely a real thing. And maybe I love now it. that I'm thinking about it, J- Jacoby Ellsbury does have that face. So well, Jacoby Ellsbury, what is he? I don't even I consider mean, him a, a, a guy on this team anymore, though. But he is. He's there. <laughs> well, you're you're gonna you're gonna realize he's there when he's taking up the fourth outfielder spot, and all we want to see is maybe Clint Frazier getting a shot. Yeah, Clint Frazier's been been very confident. He's saying, I think, didn't he say, a lot, "I'm going to surprise a lot of people when I'm coming in uh, coming into camp." He's been sending out a ton of tweets, just basically basically backing up his confidence, saying that he's the guy. He knows he he knows in his ability, and he knows that he's going to perform well. So I hope he, he does. I really answer. do. I hope he pushes the envelope. Uh, one of the reporters asked him, did you uh, keep a close eye on if you were going to get traded or all this offseason because your name was mentioned? And his answer was, I'm here now. Yeah, and that's all that matters, right? That's all that matters. So Absolutely. we'll see how he does. A couple things uh, around the league. Before that, actually, did you hear about um, uh, Thyro Estrada, who's one of, uh, one of the Yankees minor league prospects, got shot in Venezuela? Uh, looked like it was a, a a robbery attempt, and dude got shot in the hip. Looks like he's going to be okay. He's in camp right now, and and from what Aaron Boone was saying is that he'll be able to play the majority of the season. But when when do people stop going back to Venezuela because of <laughs> kidnappings and shootings and like it's a it's a it's a terrible place to be right now. Yeah, I don't want to make. I mean, I laughed. I don't want to make a joke of anything. But if you're a professional baseball player, like these teams got to be saying, listen. What do you need? We'll give it to you here. Do you need your family to come here? Don't go back there. It's clearly a dangerous place. Yeah. What was who was the catcher for the Nationals a couple of years ago? Who was the one who got uh, kidnapped? Like that. That place is ridiculous. And if you have some money, they're targeting you. And it's a known thing. Like, get your family out. Don't go back. Let's let's just keep everybody out of Venezuela, please. But uh, didn't good, good um, doing Miguel well. Cabrera? Didn't Miguel Cabrera also have a family issue down there last year? Which yeah, is what I think a there lot was a kidnapping people- thing. Yeah, I got chirped on Twitter during the, the Tigers-Yankees brawl, and I was saying that uh, Miguel Cabrera started the fight. And then I got a couple Tigers fans chirping me like, you don't know what he's going through. You don't know what his family's going through back in Argentina. And I'm like, well, first of all, I don't know. I'm not a Tigers fan. And second of all, does that does, is that make it justified that he could pick a fight with Austin Romine and miss and whiff like Austin Romine, dodging punch, punches like he's Floyd Mayweather? Well, maybe that's why he missed. Maybe that's what they were. It's not so much that he started it, but like trying to give him an excuse for why he missed. Mm. I don't know. That's yeah. To me, that's uh, that's not a logical uh, uh, reason for any of that. Yeah. But bottom line, don't go to Venezuela. And if you are from Venezuela, just invite your family to New York or Tampa. It's much. much I guess better. I'll have to cancel my Venezuelan vacation. 
All right, uh, a couple things around the league. Like I was saying, Tampa is uh, is apparently having a fire sale for whatever they have left. I'm expecting Chris Archer to be gone soon, but they did some really weird things. Jake Odorizzi has been rumored in trades. Uh, Rosenthal was teasing that, that he was going to be dealt. He got dealt to the Twins, but I think the big head-scratcher here is they made a deal for um, a guy from the Angels, a first baseman, and DFA'd Corey Dickerson as a corresponding move, and it looks like they're 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 trying to work out a trade right now, which would you know get them back a, a a draft pick as well, but a compensation pick. But Corey Dickinson was their all star last year, one of their like <laughs> one of their best players, and they just DFA him. It's very strange. What do you think the sixteen Tampa Bay Ray fans are saying right about now? I don't know, but it's the one the one guy is is the behind the plate making those annoying loud noises that you can hear because there's nobody yeah. else in the stadium. Um, he's not happy. He can't be happy. Like, is he the cowbell guy? Does he have the cowbell? I don't think he's a cowbell. He's the one who just, he, he heckles people like super loud. And I don't know if it's yeah. just super loud or they're just, there's nobody in there and he, you can hear him so clearly, but he always picks one person and then goes after that guy like all game. It's, it's a, it gets really annoying. And I think it's so basically just the place is a ghost town. Yeah, I agree with you. They're going to have to trade Archer because they could actually get a decent haul of prospects for Archer. I think Archer is a, a really good pitcher, and he's been pitching in the American League East, so you know he can do it against the tough, toughest competition in the toughest ballparks. They have to trade him at this point. But assuming they trade him, what, are they going to win 50 games next year? I mean, again, like I was saying, I, I haven't counted how many are on the schedule. It's 18, 19, is that, is that what we're looking at? I want I want, uh, I want. To win every single game, I do not want to lose one game to the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. It's uh, it just you want it doesn't make to any win sense. Twenty out of nineteen games. They I want have, them to yeah. I want them, them to win. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, and maybe, a brawl, and then whoop their ass in a brawl too. Maybe play like an eighteen inning game and win that, so it's like they won two games. Yeah, or yeah, just you know physically beat them up as well. Like there, there <laughs> needs to be some ramifications for for rolling this team out there, and it's one of them absolutely has to be getting swept by the New York Yankees. Like the Yankees have to walk into every single game. Like we cannot lose to these guys. They're a JV team. There's no reason for us to, they shouldn't score more than three runs on any game on in any game. So yeah, it's, it's shaping up though between the Yankees and Red Sox because those, those are the two strongest teams in the division. They're going to collect a lot of wins from the bottom teams in the division. I think Baltimore is going to be crappy too. I know you like they can still hit, but I don't see what they have no pitching. They so just I picked up a, Andrew Kashner, be, so they they bolstered it a little bit. I still think they're going to be looking them in Toronto. I just see this as a, a very top heavy division, but I, I see the top two teams, the Yankees and Red Sox, being strong. Yeah, there's no doubt that the it's going to be a two team two team race. Baltimore, I mean, the Kashner move is is something to look at, but it's it's so typical of what Baltimore has done over the past couple of years. They pick up like a late. A, late, a guy late in the uh, free agent season, an arm that's like, eh, he's like, you know, he's a he's a three four starter. Um, Casher doesn't strike anybody out anymore. He's a he's actually a flaw. Uh, he's been getting people out by contact, which is you know the anti Andrew Casher from what he was in in San Diego. So I'm I'm wondering how that's actually going to work when he's pitching at home in Camden Yards because the ball is going to leave the ballpark quite a bit if he's not striking people out. I don't know. It just it seems like one of those moves that. It, I think it's so clear that the Orioles missed their opportunity when they they had a good team a couple of years ago, um, and now Machado's leaving and Britain is is hurt to start the season. You know he's a question mark because he got injured. So a lot of, a lot of question marks there. Yeah, one Andrew Kashner is not going to turn that Baltimore rotation around. 
So I know during the spring, uh, during spring training, there's going to be a lot of storylines, but we will definitely go more into depth of each one of these teams. So we'll we'll have similar to what we did last year. We'll bring on guys that are, you know, very engulfed on each of these teams, whether it's uh, you know whether they have a podcast for the Orioles or the Red Sox or whomever, um, or they're a beat writer, and we'll we'll bring them on to get more of a hometown view of these guys as the as spring training goes on and getting ready for the season. Um, we have a bunch of mailbags we're going to get to, and like we said. We have uh, Brian Hoke spoke with Andrew on uh, this past Friday. So that's the second half of the show. Make sure you tune in. Before we get to the mailbags, we do have to give away a T-shirt winner because like we said, every week we are giving away a T-shirt to one person who leaves a review on the podcast and iTunes. So if you haven't done that, make sure you go to iTunes, Apple Podcast, and please give us a review. We obviously love five stars. And then give us something good in there, whatever you think, uh, whatever you want to say. If you want to uh, compliment us, I'm always looking for compliments. I will never turn down a compliment. If you want to rib us, that's fine too. Five stars, whatever you got, and then we're, we're going to pick one every week, and I will send you a code for any T-shirt in the fan shop that your heart desires. So uh, the winner this week was a five-star review. The, the caption is truly entertaining by Escodamus on February 13th. He said, very informative podcast with different spectrums of reality. <laughs> one one is realistic and the other is mostly fantasy. You can guess who is who rather easily. Listening to these guys from behind enemy, enemy lines in Massachusetts, I've been listening for a year now. I can honestly recommend this podcast to fans of baseball in general. Awesome job, guys. Keep up the good work. WSGO787. So, <laughs> who's who? I don't know because we both, we were talking before, we both thought we're the fantasy guy that he's talking about. Yeah, I was actually, when I told you that I thought he was talking about me as the fantasy guy, I was very surprised that you thought you were the fantasy guy. And I'll, and I'll, my, I'll give you my explanation first. You're, you're on like the more, you know, you're on the more like pessimistic view, right? You're like the guy who's entrenched in, in, in that side of it. Although you've become a lot more optimistic over the years. And I'm, I'm definitely the more, the, I'd say the bigger optimist of the two. And I think a lot of people can confuse optimism for fantasy because mm. it's, it's uh, maybe my head is in the clouds. Don't you think? I think it's more of a realistic view leaning towards the optimistic side because I don't like to put myself in the, in the clouds, uh, the negative clouds, like the, the, the dark clouds. It's just, it's, there's no room for that in my head right now. So I think that's why I think I'm the fantasy guy. That makes sense. I, I guess I was assuming Escadamus was looking at it from your positive attitude. And uh, so he was thinking that you are realistic because you are the positive one and I am the negative one, for lack of a better term. I call it uh, realistic, I guess. So, yeah, right. maybe maybe I've just convinced myself. I've, I've turned myself around and uh, I, I guess I know who is who at this point. But uh, when when we get the DM from Escadamus, maybe he can let us know who he was talking about. Yeah, and then if anybody else is listening to the show has got some insight, who you think is fantasy and who you think is, re- is, is realistic, if there is a clear defined line be- of what we are, I, I, I want to hear this too. I want to hear all this feedback. This is all, this is all very interesting to me. It was fun. I like that review though because it got me thinking. Yeah, so definitely send us a DM on uh, on Twitter or shoot us an email. However you want to get a hold of us, just get a hold of us. Uh, somehow prove that it's you. Um, we gave a T-shirt away. I saw that it was ordered last week to who was a Brian McNulty. Is that right? Um, yep. So he got his shirt, or he ordered his shirt. I saw it in the back. He got one of the uh, Modern Day Murderers row tees. So that will be uh, shipping out soon. When you get that, definitely shoot us a picture of where of you wearing the shirt so we can tweet it out. 
Um, but yeah, we're going to do this every single week. So if you have not given us a review, obviously we're, we're super appreciative. It drives us. It, uh, it, and it definitely helps us uh, grow the show when we have more five-star reviews and ratings in, in uh, iTunes. All right, so let's get to the mailbags. The first one is from Patrick Lyons is at 5280 Ballcast. He says, first time, long time. Odds are against this staff holding up for the season. So what pitchers could the Yankees get in July for their playoff run? And what prospects would you be willing to give up? I was actually, so a little teaser, Brian and I spoke about the rotation in the segment coming up. And we both agreed that it's a, a solid rotation. It's not the best rotation, but no, no team is going to go through the year without injury. You and I, though, were just happy that the five players they had on paper, we were comfortable going into the season like that. Yeah. And if in June or July they needed to add somebody, they have the prospects. They have a deep system. They're, they still have a lot of players they could trade for a pitcher if they need it. We didn't need to, to do that in the winter. I think you and I both were in agreement on that. Yeah, well, I mean, I, you know, it's crazy to me how much uh, indirect disrespect was going towards Jordan Montgomery in the season that he had. I think a lot of people over overlook the the season that he had and the fact that he was a rookie and really built up a very, very solid rookie year. And, you know, to me, he's only going to build on that. He seems like a smart kid who, who works hard and is going to build on, on what he does. So I was very I was happy that they that they kind of went in with uh, with the guys that did and didn't give up a, a prospect for, you know, at least any of the names that were that were um, that were mentioned. Uh, that being said, like you're talking about the system, like we just heard about Justice Sheffield, who is claiming that he is he feels like he's ready for the major leagues. Like this guy is has a lot of confidence. Um, he has a pitch in. In, in triple, I mean, he's going up to triple A most likely this year, right? He was a double A, um, and we're looking for a big year out of him in triple A. And who knows when he, if there's an injury, which we're all not that we expect it, it's just it, it happens every year. It's baseball, it happens every it's baseball, Susan. It happens, injuries happen when you have guys like CC Sabathia, um, that, that are you know up there in age. Um, and then, you know, some unknowns with, uh, with some of the, some other guys, as far as longevity or staying healthy for an entire season, you expect that farm system to get, to get worked out a little bit. And justice Sheffield might be one of those guys. Yeah. I'm also looking at the outfield spots, the depth in the outfield, like guys like Jake cave and Billy McKinney. If those guys are having strong seasons at AAA and they don't really have a spot in the majors, those are perfect trade ships. Yeah, I mean, the outfield is so freaking packed right now with major league talent in the Bronx. Any of those guys in AAA are basically playing for a job somewhere else. I mean, they, they, if they're honest with themselves, they're playing for a job at another, with another team or, you know, God forbid an injury occur. But that's what's mm. happening. So I was kind of going around the league and looking at the free agent class for next season to see which guys are in the last years of their deals. And maybe their team is going to be uh, might not be in playoff contention. And one guy, the Yankees were actually linked to him, Patrick Corbin from Arizona. Um, the Yankees were linked to him in the offseason already. So they've already expressed interest. I'm not really thrilled with with that addition. But if they if they need a back end of the rotation type guy, he might be available in June or July. Yep, he's definitely uh, again, and that's and that's that's one of those uh, one of those moves that you know it's a depth move almost. I mean, and that's why it was so freaking puzzling to me why there were why there were rumors about Patrick Corbin with the Yankees in the off season, you know, uh, circling around that fifth spot when we have Jordan Montgomery sitting right there. Like you can't you can't convince me that Patrick Corbin's better than Jordan Montgomery, but no. 
Um, if there's an injury, though, he might be a nice option. Yeah, that's that's the thing. If there's if there's an injury, uh, Cole Hamels is another guy that you had on this list, and he's a yeah, he's, he's interesting. He's one of the more because, expensive guys, but uh, another guy who's got a lot of postseason experience. Well, because couldn't you see Texas making the playoffs, but you could also see Texas being in fourth place? Yes. So if the if Texas is in third or fourth place and it's at the trade deadline, and they could get some prospects for Cole Hamels, why wouldn't they do that? It it makes a ton of sense. I mean. I think that's um, if they're not in the playoff hunt, if they are significantly out of it at that point, and they're they don't find themselves, they're gonna deal him. It's uh, right. It makes a it makes a ton of sense. So yeah, I could see that happening. One guy that we just talked about that wasn't on your list actually. What about the race? I mean, the race are doing this fire sale. Chris Archer is if if yeah. they don't get rid of him now, he's gonna be he's gonna be up at the uh, trade deadline. And why? There's really nothing saying that they wouldn't trade him within the division. They're not gonna be making any moves towards towards a, a competitive team in the next what four or five years minimum so who cares exactly they're just going to look for the top the best prospects and if the yankees offer the best package for them they'll say well, you, know, you know what we're not going to be good while um archer is pitching against us anyway so what's the difference we might as well just take the best haul yeah so that's that's a big guy that i think is going to he could be probably uh, the the biggest haul at the trade deadline if, if he's still around in tampa but he's going to get a lot of people excited. Can I uh, can I read this next mailbag question from James? Because I feel like I should be reading this one. Yeah, go ahead. From James uh, Pagno. He says, I feel like the Headley trade is going to hurt this team this season. He could have been useful at, uh, at the opening at third and was the ultimate team guy. And what a, I mean, such a nice dude. Such a nice guy. <laughs> uh, isn't it insane how far the spectrum swings on Chase Headley? Well, it's funny because, you know, he changed, I think, a lot of minds, including yours last year yeah, in the way that he right. played and the way that he made himself available to different positions when the Yankees needed him. I mean, he was the ultimate team guy last year. And and the the fact that the Yankees, I think, I think everybody was a little bit more surprised after the year that he had that he was dumped this, this year after what we saw last year. And the fact that there was no was third baseman pure... that was a, a, a shoo-in. So this, that's the thing I'm surprised about is that the Yankees – dumped him and then didn't use his money to sign somebody else. That's what I'm surprised about. Now, maybe they add him in the middle of the season and I look like an idiot and Cashman had this grand plan all along in Cashman. We trust, right? Like you, you're making this t-shirt. Like we clearly have put our faith that Brian Cashman knows what the hell he is doing. So, and that's the thing, like the, they're adding flexibility to have flexibility. I mean, Cashman loves, um, he obviously feels confident enough in the guys coming up as well. Uh, you know, there's been a ton of talk about Glaber, Glaber Torres going to second base. Like, that's the the obvious choice. And then Miguel Anduar, like, is he ready? Is the glove ready? I think that's the biggest – that's the big thing that everybody's going to be circling this uh, this spring is we. everybody has the – I think the general consensus is that his bat is ready to go or at least on the cusp it's, it's uh, major league ready. Um, but it's the glove. Can he prove that he is a – a solid contributor, someone that you could depend on at third base defensively. That's the biggest question mark for him right now. If uh, if Headley was still on this team and he was the opening day third baseman, do you think he would be blocking Anduar? I think to start the season, yeah, that that he he very well could be blocking Anduar. Yeah, yeah, but let's say Headley is struggling. We've seen it before. He gets off to really slow starts. He's hitting like 200 in May with no power, and Anduar's tearing up AAA. Do you think he would block him at that point? No, I don't think so. I think the Yankees have proved that they would um, that they would eat the contract. But I guess the fact that they 
that Cashman saw an opportunity to dump that that money and give him more flexibility with the team that he couldn't he just couldn't pass that up because if he's playing that same scenario you just had in your in in uh in his head and and the fact that Headley will be there well if if Anduar is playing well and Headley is not then you're eating that 13 million so he's basically like I got an opportunity right now to get rid of 13 million off the books and there's a very good possibility that I'll probably have to eat this next year let's just take the money and, I think and uh, San Diego took it all, right? Yeah. <laughs> they took all the money? Yeah, yeah I think that was great. it. And, and Brian Mitchell. Right, right, right. Turf so I'm, I'm glad Turf I don't have Mitchell. to talk about Brian Mitchell being a starter or a reliever again this year. So that's, it's been like <laughs> five years in a row. He's got the tools. He's got the stuff. He's a toolsy guy. Turf toe derailed him for sure. Um, all right. So next one is from Jay Hyatt at Jay Hyatt with an E-T-T on Twitter. He says, should the Yankees look to add Tim Lincecum. He was clocking at 90 to 93 on his showcase. I don't care where he was clocking. I really don't. (laughs) We mocked this like three, four weeks ago. We mocked the Tim Lincecum was trying to make a comeback story. I got guys that I know from high school who can go out and throw 90 to 93. I mean, they're not gonna be able to pick their arm up, but they can get the velocity there. You know what I mean? Like velocity doesn't mean jack shit to me. It doesn't, especially for a guy like Tim Lincecum. You know what? Screw it. Let's why not sign Tim Lincecum? What's what? Honestly, what is the uh, downside to signing Winscom? It's like it's going to be a minor league prove me contract. So he comes into spring training and he probably will get shelled, and then you move on. Like, but what what's what could possibly be the down the downside? Because he might get maybe he's looking for some some dumbass organization to give him a uh, a very low major league offer. Fine, then let a dumb organization do that. That well, doesn't have to thing. be the Yankees. I don't think the Yankees are even going to be able to to get in there. Whatever, it doesn't matter. I don't even know why we're talking about this. For in in all seriousness, the the guy is washed because up. He's done. All reports got. Lincecum he's skinny. Ripped now. He's skinny. He's skinny, and you just see more muscles. There's did a I, difference. Did I call him? Did I didn't? I believe I used the analogy that it was like a crackhead just did bicep curls for a couple hours. Yeah. So he was like he looked. His veins were popping out. Like he was. He looked swole. But he's just skinny. It's it's a yeah, well, huge difference. Uh, so yeah, I know I'm hey, anti Tim Lincecum. The freak, bring the freak in. All right, next one is from uh, Scott in Ottawa. If you want to grab that one, Scott in Ottawa says, "Love the show. Thanks for bringing it each week. While the hockey and basketball teams I follow are complete trash, I asked a similar question to this back on episode 89. So Scott is one of our listeners from way back." Number one, what Olymp- what winter Olympic sport do you like to watch the most? And number two, what winter Olympic sport would you do best at if you had to compete? And he says, by the way, in episode 89, Andrew picked the very manly sport of speed walking to compete in the Summer Olympics. And uh, <laughs> my girlfriend is laughing in my face as I just read that. Um, th- speed walking is – why do you I, think if you, had- train, if you gave me a year, If you gave me a year to train, I could be an Olympic speed walker. Yeah. Why do you think you'd be so good at speed walking? Because I have really long legs. Yep. And I, and, and I, just need, I just need the cardiovascular stamina, but I feel like I could work my way up to that. Have you seen the, the funkiness in the walk, though? Like you, I uh-huh. feel like you need some like, serious hip flexibility. Yeah, and some of them shit themselves, but still, still, uh, still go at it. So do you, have, I mean, do you have the ability? Can you actually – would you be able to shit – would you be committed enough to shit yourself while you're doing uh, an Olympic sport? While you're on television, yeah. look, you're going for the bronze medal, not the silver or the gold. They, they've already crossed. But you're in like a, a walk-for-walk race with the, the next guy <laughs> for the bronze medal. So it's a matter of meddling or not meddling. 
and you have to take a giant shit and you just, you're on TV prime time <laughs> speed walking. Do you shit yourself? Absolutely. If yeah? it's going to make me that much lighter and give me the, if it's going to give me that step. You're wearing white yes. shorts. Do you shit yourself? Why am I wearing? I don't know, but you white are. shorts, whatever. If I'm wearing. Yeah. Maybe, I'll, maybe, you know what? Maybe I prepare for this and I wear an adult diaper. No, you're not. It's white shorts. You didn't prepare for it. It's just, this is what happens. What did I have for dinner <laughs> the night before? All right. So the winter Olympics, what spot <laughs> the, the, we're talking about sports that we like to, to watch the most. <laughs> Um, I, I'm a big fan of the skiing. Like I think some of the mm-hmm. new skiing events are pretty crazy that they're doing all these, like, uh, all the tricks, the freestyle stuff is insane to me what they can do on skis. So those kids, those guys are, are super impressive. Um, and then I also like watching the, uh, the, um, like the bobsled and the skeleton. I think that stuff is crazy. The best winter Olympic sport to watch is short track speed skating because there is always a fall. It's like 10 guys out there on this little loop of a track yeah. all going at it. It's, it's really actually very exciting. I don't understand. I don't understand how there are not more crashes in that, in that sport. They're so there are. tight. I know, but do like, you remember, I, didn't Ono get like slashed in the face? I believe. Yeah. But do you remember it was either last Olympics or, or two Olympics ago some guy was in last place and in the entire field in front of him wiped out and he ended up winning because everyone fell. Yeah, that's crazy. It's uh, it makes me dizzy and I want to throw up when I'm watching it. That's the one thing, <laughs> the sport that I think I would, if I were to compete and I were to, there's, there's two, ob- there's two answers. One obvious answer um, is curling. I feel like I could be a very, very solid curler. I'm good at, yep. I'm good at shuffleboard. So okay. I've gone to, you know, I used to, as a kid, I went to Florida um, during the summers and would visit my great aunt and uncle. And there was a shuffleboard court there and I would just whoop some, some ass. I would, I would go in there and hustle some, some, some grandpas and some grandmas. I feel like I'd be good at that. Um, and then the second one I'd like to try, I feel like if I tried it is the, uh, the, um, the skeleton. I think it, it, it looks, it looks like so much fun. It looks a little crazy, but it looks fun. Yeah, that's great. You don't want to do doubles luge with me. I'll do luge. Yeah. I think luge is a similar effect. I'd do that too. Have you seen the doubles luge though? It's just one guy laying on top of the other. Oh, the doubles luge. I'm thinking of bobsled. No, I don't want to do the luge. I'll do the bobsled. We can, we can start a doubles bobsled team. Bronx pinstripe show. We can put the logo right on the side. It's perfect. Beautiful. I love it. Um, thanks for the question, Scott. And I appreciate the callback from episode 89. All right. The next one is, uh, from Evan per, uh, And he says, this question is for Scott. He says, I need an honest opinion here. As we know, Andrew is a Patriots fan. Does this impact your opinion of his Yankees takes? Personally, as a Jets fan who went to college in Boston, it makes me appreciate his opinion about 25% less than yours, uh, than your own. He says, I just can't get the memory of crappy drunk Pat Sox fans incoherently yelling goat at the mere sight and mention of Tom Brady. So have you noticed that over the last couple of weeks as the playoff run for the uh, for the NFL went on that it seemed like a lot more listeners picked up on the fact that I am a Patriots fan? I think because we stopped talking football about a year and a half ago that uh, a lot of our new listeners didn't realize that. Yeah. So in the beginning, we would do in the offseason when we had no idea what we were going to talk about. Uh, we started we, we did like, what, 15 minutes or so of football. And mm-hmm. um, I don't know. We were kind of forcing that as well. We just neither one of us really cared as much so we started going uh, all yankees um yeah i don't think they do i think it's uh i think it's one of your like in the closet skeletons and and it's just because it's a new york boston thing if i was a 100%. yankees fan and a minnesota vikings fan nobody no would, would give, a, give shit. a crap right it's the yankee and it's because geography where i grew up rhode island it's just how it's just how it was i'm a yankees fan because my dad is a yankees fan 
my dad never really influenced me that much on football. So I ended up being a Patriots fan because all my friends, when they were nine years old, we were nine years old. We were Patriots fans. I just went with my friends at that point. I understand it makes me kind of an asshole. I'm probably the biggest asshole sports fan out there because the Yankees and the Patriots have been the two most successful franchises in their respective sports for the last 30 years. That's the thing. It it it. looks suspicious. It does look suspicious. It looks looks suspicious. Um, Do I value your opinion less because of that? My honest honest answer here is no, I don't because I I usually don't think about it. But I must say, during football season, you annoy me more. It creeps up into the, I think, conversation a lot more about the Patriots. And I'm just so salty about it because I'm a Jets fan also. And like I picked the wrong team. I, I would have had championships if I was a Giants fan, but I'm not. For whatever reason, I picked the Jets. It was a stupid decision. I have to live with it for the rest of my life. I, t- I t- Like I've said, I'm going to give my son the option to not be a Jets fan. I'm not going to push that on him to save him. I'm, I really think it's a, important for me to do for his livelihood as a football fan. But um, no, I, it doesn't make me uh, affect your opinion, if I'm being honest. Well, I appreciate that. That's yeah. a good thing, considering we have a podcast dedicated to the New York Yankees. Right. And I actually did go to college with a bunch of guys from um, like the Boston area. So there was a there was a, a lot. I had a lot of back and forth with Patriots fans and Red Sox fans like constantly like it would get annoying to other people. And, and they would they would basically we were we were told to, you know, just stop arguing constantly. So I, I've had that back and forth mm. and I'm almost numb to it a little bit. Well, I, I hope for Evan's sake that he can get over the fact maybe he'll. I, maybe I'll win him back with my Yankees takes this year. If it makes you, if it makes everybody feel a little bit better, you were very not, you were not really in, uh, engaged with. Since you've moved to New York, you were not engaged with the Patriots season really at all this year. No, I mean, I, I'm, I was definitely, I'm definitely more passive uh, about the Patriots than I am the Yankees. Obviously, yeah. it, it, my, if you give me one game, one like key game two out of three win series against the Red Sox in July for the Yankees versus like a Patriots big win. Give me the Yankees win. That's, that's just, I'm Yankees 99%. All right. That's good to hear. I'm glad we cleared that up. So the last one is something you found. So why don't you read this? Yeah. So Mickey Calloway, the new manager of the Mets had just an absolute gold comment. Um, and it, it really struck a, struck a, a chord with us, I think, because he said dry humping guys is something I feel strongly about. He was referring to a situation where a reliever warms up and then does not get into the game. That's a lot of wear and tear that, uh, that is endless if I haven't prepared the right way. That will happen. I have to make a decision with good timing so the game doesn't speed up on us and we don't have somebody ready. So Mickey Calloway talking about B-whips, but he's calling it dry humping, guys. Okay, so when you first read that and you're like, yeah, this is something that we're definitely behind, and then you start off reading dry humping guys <laughs> is something I feel strongly about. Uh, the, the quote is, is utterly ridiculous. It's, it's, uh, I can't believe it. Someone actually said this with, uh, you know, and, and being dead serious about it and didn't actually mm-hmm. think that it would be, you know, written all oh, over the place and tweeted all he over the place. Yeah. He I don't, I, he, I guess he's just, he's a, like a, a dude that doesn't care much about it. He's more of an outspoken guy, but I mean, the, the choice of wordings is, is pretty hysterical, I think in the way that he it's goes awesome. about the B whips, but yeah, B whips, that was something that we've been talking about. We need this. Uh, it's, it's one of those stats that needs to be added to the new analytics is B whips is the warm up bullpen, warm up pitches. Uh, we are of the opinion that it has ruined Dylan Batantis and, <laughs> and it's Joe Girardi's fault. <laughs> well, I guess Joe Girardi just loved dry humping Dylan Batantis. 
All right, so that is going to do it for us uh, for the first half of the show. Make sure that you stay tuned. Andrew and Brian Hoax uh, conversation they had from this past Friday. Definitely tune in for that. Andrew, do you have any last words for this week? No, I, I appreciate you guys. If the sound wasn't the best, I appreciate you guys listening. We love all the reviews that are coming in, so keep it up. All right, guys, before the conversation with Brian Hook, I want to talk to you about a new sponsor we have for the show, Black Buffalo. There is nothing more American than baseball and dip. I'm a guy that likes to throw a dip in while I'm watching a game. It's just one of those things I've done while I go to a game. And I have tried Black Buffalo recently, and it's actually really good stuff. It's a tobacco-free alternative dip that delivers the same experience as traditional smokeless tobaccos, with just without any tobacco leaf or stem. The taste, the texture, the dark, rich color, and yeah, the nicotine. So you can keep on that ritual, but ditch the tobacco. Black Buffalo makes a tobacco-free long cut and also pouches in wintergreen, mint, and straight. Black Buffalo sells two packs. They sell five packs. And you can get their merchandise exclusively on their website with free shipping. Another cool thing about the company is they are a proud sponsor of the nonprofit that's dedicated to helping special special operations forces transition out of the military and into the private sector. Something that's very awesome and we love. So go to go to blackbuffalo.com, use code BRONX50 for 50% off your first order. That's blackbuffalo.com, use code BRONX50 for 50% off your first order. Here's our conversation with Brian Hope. Every single thing that he do, it be big daddy cool. These actors faking like they stunting. I say you airball, I go Nancy Reagan for nothing. Which means I dare y'all to muzzle what my tongue do. My crew is painting pictures till they love you. Take a trip through my freedom. Joining us on the podcast now is Brian Hoke of MLB.com. And he covers the Yankees. I'm sure you guys follow him on Twitter and all that good stuff. Brian, how's it going? Going really well. It's uh, about 85 and sunny down here in Florida, so don't be too jealous. But, uh been a lot of fun uh, about ready to get started for uh, with camp for real and uh team looks pretty good so a uh, lot to be excited about well it's about 55 degrees today in new york city kind of got me excited for <laughs> like it's spring is going to arrive but i know it's just teasing and we'll get a snowstorm sooner right. or later but uh yeah you mentioned everyone's excited down there what's what's the atmosphere like as people enter camp I think there's just a really positive vibe. You're seeing it uh, with the players. I was talking to David Robertson today. He, he said that it uh, seems to him like even some of the media members always have a smile on their face. I, I think that it's just uh, spring training is always a time for optimism, but especially when your team went to the American League Championship Series, went was one win away from going to the World Series, I, I think that there's obviously a lot for Yankee fans and the Yankees players to be positive about here. And then you you put the uh, cherry on top by trading for John Carlos Stanton in December. And uh, I don't see why anybody wouldn't be looking forward to seeing what this team can do on the field. So uh, I it's one thing to do it on paper, another thing to do it between the white lines, of course. But, uh, you know, at this time of year when every team is looking for reasons to be positive and optimistic. I, I think the Yankees have more reasons than most. Yeah, how does it how does it rank as far as teams that you've covered? I believe you started covering the team in two thousand nine, right? That's actually kind of a similar off season where they added Sabathia yeah. and Teixeira and Burnett, and it was World Series or bust that year. I'm not quite sure it's World Series or bust this year, but it's uh, it's on a lot of people's minds with how things ended. 
No, for sure. Uh, 07 was my first year, so I saw okay. the end of the Joe Torre era, uh, the beginning of Joe Girardi, closing the old stadium, opening a new one, all that good stuff. But, yeah, I would I would say it's on par with 09. I think that there was so much anticipation that year with the opening of the new stadium. They went out and spent a half billion dollars on the guys you mentioned. Uh, I think that there was a, a vibe that if the Yankees didn't win the World Series that year, it was going to be a disappointment. And I am getting a lot of that same vibe here. I think that you hear them talking about how they have the target on their back now, and they snuck up on a lot of people last year. People were picking them to be fourth or fifth in the American League East. You know, a lot of people were saying that team was not going to finish 500. Um, they surprised a lot of people last year. I don't think they're going to surprise anybody this year. They're coming in. Um, people are looking at this team to make a lot of noise, and I think that if they don't go to the playoffs and have a very deep run, it's going to be a disappointment for a lot of people. Did anyone uh, show up to champ, uh, uh, show up to camp out of shape? I'm always curious about that. I haven't seen anybody out of shape. I think what you're seeing is guys who are in better shape than they were at the end of last season, which I think is impressive considering how late the year went. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about how Gary Sanchez is trimmed down. He says he hasn't lost any weight, but he looks trimmer to me on, on the eye test, which a lot of times means that a guy has put on a little muscle or maybe firmed up something that needed some firming up. I think that uh, the Yankees talked a lot about how Sanchez was having trouble blocking balls last year because he was too bulky. I think that uh, he's, he's corrected that issue, and we'll see how the ball blocking goes. And uh, Dylan Batances came in about 14, 15 pounds later, and he says that uh, he's hoping that that can help him repeat his delivery a little more consistently. So you hear a lot of these stories this time of year. I think that guys do their off-season training. Uh, they eat right over the off-season. The test is, can it hold up to a 162-game schedule, a 180-day grind? And for some guys, it does. Some guys, it doesn't. But uh, spring training is obviously always a time. The joke is he's in the best shape of his life. Well, there's a lot of guys on the in the Yankee clubhouse who I think uh, could make a run at that. Yeah, actually, Sanchez and Dellen Batances were two guys I was going to ask you about. I think specifically because of their relationship with Girardi and what a lot of what was written about those relationships, especially Sanchez with the whole uh, getting benched briefly and all that that type of stuff. What did you see on the on that relationship, and what do you think it's uh, is that an, a priority for Aaron Boone going forward? Those two guys specifically. Well, it's definitely a, a priority for Boone. He said that with Sanchez, he went to New York during the off season. They they met up, they had dinner. Uh, it's kind of building a relationship, and I think that's important for any manager to have a good relationship with his starting catcher. He's obviously going to be the uh, conduit between the pitching staff during a game. And uh, I think that having a good line of communication between your, your starting catcher and your manager is, is crucial. Uh, as far as Sanchez and Girardi, I, I thought that there were signs of friction at times. Obviously, you're talking about August when he benched him and said uh, his defense has to improve. Bottom line, he's, he's late getting down to block balls. And I, I thought that was very out of character for Girardi. I thought that at the time, and uh, especially after they parted ways with Joe and you're hearing Brian Cashman talk about communication and connectivity was the reason they couldn't keep Joe Girardi around. And I think that's got to be exhibit a, uh, as far as something they were looking to avoid or improve upon. Now to Sanchez's credit, he said all the right things. He said that he, he liked Girardi as a manager and he thought Girardi was really trying to help him be a better catcher. And that probably is true. I think that it benefited everybody for Gary Sanchez's ball blocking to improve. And, it really did, if you look at the numbers after that point, um, the amount of wild pitches and, and pass balls went down. 
uh, after August. Obviously, he had some issues in the postseason, but uh, I, I think that it was in everybody's best interest for a positive relationship, and that's obviously something that Joe uh, that Aaron Boone is trying to build now with Gary Sanchez, and uh, so far they seem to be off to a good start. Yeah, before they traded for Stanton, I thought maybe both Judge and Sanchez would get more time at DH in 2018. Do you think that's changed at all with the addition of Stanton? I think it has. I, I think that they're all going to see time there rotating, but uh, I, I think that it's it's a good problem to have. How do you fit these guys in? But they're going to have to fit Sanchez at DH a little bit. They're going to have to use Stanton and Judge there too, and I don't think it's going to hurt either one of those guys to – get some innings off of their feet, but Boone has talked about liking it as an idea of a way that he can give Sanchez a half day. You get him out from behind the plate, you get him as four or five at bats and he doesn't have to get beat up the foul tips back there and blocking balls. So I, I think that's, that's an important thing for the Yankees to utilize. And I think it's important with judge too. I mean, I know there's a temptation to run that guy out there 162 games and he's going to play full throttle the whole time. But what you're hearing him say now about how he was banged up and he was playing at 80% a lot of the year. If you can keep that guy closer to 90% rather than 80 or 75%, I mean, imagine the numbers he can put up. So I think it's huge for all those guys uh, to rest and you never want to give those guys a day off. So the DH spot is going to be huge for that. Judge was talking about in his press conference the other day that it pretty much his shoulder issue started after the All-Star break. And everyone just immediately thinks of the home run derby. Everyone was joking, mocking that the home run derby injured Aaron Judge. But I think there might actually be some truth to that now. Yeah, I could see that. I think that, you know, he he was very careful not to mention the home run derby as a a problem. Um, But he did mention taking a lot of swings. And I had heard rumblings that the shoulder actually started before that. So uh, whether it, let's say that it did. Um, does participating in the home run derby when you already are managing something in your shoulder, is that the smartest thing to do? He obviously wanted to participate in it. MLB wanted him to participate in it. He did pretty good. <laughs> he yeah. did pretty well. I think that uh, if you're an injured player, uh, it's hard to put on the show that he did. So could it have exacerbated it? Maybe, maybe it aggravated something and then he had to deal with it a little bit more in the second half. We'll never really know. I think only Aaron knows that and maybe the Yankees training staff, but possibly not even them. I think that Aaron played his cards very close to the vest and look, he came back in September. His best month was in September. So how bad could it really have been? And he claims that he did not get a cortisone injection. So you can go back and trace uh, the entire path of Aaron Judge's season Bottom line, it turned out to be a really, really incredible rookie season, one that I don't think any of us have ever seen anything like. And um, for him to have been doing it while managing injury, I think it makes it all the more incredible. I think the true test will be this July in D.C. MLB is obviously going to ask him to participate again as the defending home run champion. Is there any way that he even gets anywhere near that, uh, that home run derby and I guess it remains to be seen. I'll be curious to see how he reacts, but I don't think anyone would fault him for sitting it out. Yeah, it was certainly a good career move for him. He's on the cover of MLB The Show and the most popular player on the most popular team now, so everything worked out well for him. Uh, getting back to Boone, I think the, one of the biggest things, the reason he's the Yankees manager, is relationships. They wanted him to be able to relate to the guys in the clubhouse, but... Apart from that, on the field, bullpen management, all that kind of stuff, how do you think the adjustment adjustment's going to be for him? I think it'll be an adjustment process. I think, think there will be things they'll have to pick up on and the uh, speed of the game. I think, 
you know, they, it looks pretty easy when you're up in the press box or the broadcast booth, but I think once you get down there, the field level, the speed of the game, and the, the speed with which decisions need to be made, um, it's really accelerated, and there's really no test to do that. I mean, he'll try to do that a little bit in Grapefruit League games, but it's not the same. You're not playing matchups in the late innings, and, and you're not really trying to think two or three innings ahead. You're just trying to make sure your guys get four or five innings and get out of there healthy. Uh, so I think that it's hard to simulate a lot of the things that Aaron is going to have to learn with on the fly in, in March and April when, when opening day happens and the team goes north. But uh, he's not the first guy to do this. You know, you've seen a trend of recent managers who have not spent a whole lot of time in minor league dugouts. And, and it used to be that you'd have to go down and manage an A ball and double A to even get a shot at, at being in the big leagues. And that's not the case anymore. So I think he can make up that learning curve. He's been around the game. He comes from a baseball family. He, Aaron said at his press conference, he's been preparing for this since he was three or four years old. And maybe that's true, but uh, I, I think that uh, there's certainly a lot of the nuances of the game that he is going to hit the ground running with. And the other things he can pick up pretty easily. But I think he'll, uh, he'll lean on Larry Rothschild, who's managing the big leagues for some of the stuff, particularly on the pitching side. And the rest of it, I think, should come rather intuitively to him. I think bullpen management is something that it is one of the areas a manager has the biggest impact on. I thought Girardi, the, sometimes I thought he would overuse Batances, maybe get him up too many times, and maybe that's why we saw Batances fade down the stretch. But last year, that wasn't the case because Batances, I think, threw his least amount of innings of his career last year. So right. So what what is going on with Batances? Why, why does he every September lose it? <laughs> I don't know. If, if you had the answer, I think that uh, the Yankees would probably pay you a lot of money to fix it. But I, I think that overuse has been an issue with him, and, and not necessarily in 2017. 2017, he wasn't throwing his fastball for strikes, and, and that really was so important for him. It's important for any pitcher, but especially for him. Um, I think that if you go back and look through his numbers, uh, the problem started the first week of September, and uh, continued into the postseason, obviously. And he had flashes where he was getting by without it, but it, it's so difficult for a pitcher to have any kind of level of sustained success when you can't do something as simple as throw a fastball for a strike. And and that's that goes back to what we're talking about with his mechanics being out of whack. Um, he thought that he was a little too heavy at the end of last year. I believe he said he finished the year about 280. He's down to about 264 now. Uh, maybe that helps. Maybe that, that helps him repeat the delivery better. That's, that's closer to the weight that he was when he was excellent. But you're still talking about a guy who has uh, been on four straight all-star teams here. He's dominant. He can get, if his fastball and curveball are, are good enough, uh, I mean, this is a guy who no team wants to see in the late inning. So, you know, Aaron Boone has said that Patances is going to be a huge part of what the Yankees are able to do this year. I think that, uh, if you can cure that September bugaboo that, that has been bothering him, that will go a long way. But I think the most important thing is get him back on the mound, get his confidence right. You know, Girardi tried to do it a couple times, even in the playoffs, and brought him into games where he couldn't get anybody out. But that, that tells you how important he is to what the Yankees need to do. Um, the fact that Girardi was willing to bring him into those postseason games, I think that Aaron Boone is going to really depress the, uh, the gas pedal on him and, and try to get him in big spots as well. You, uh, so you said he gained weight throughout the season last year, and now he cut it in the offseason. Did he go on the vegan CC diet or something? <laughs> no, as far as I know, he hired a nutritionist and was working out down in the Dominican Republic. So 
Uh, and by the way, CC is not sticking to that vegan diet. That is no. a thing of the past already. So Shocker. he gave it a shot. I think I think his wife uh, pushed him to do it. And he he had uh, about a twenty day run on it. Nice little cleanse there. That's <laughs> a good run. That's a longer run than I've had on a vegan diet. But yeah. I, I think that over the course of a, a major league season with the travel and the late nights these guys do, it would be uh, kind of tough to, to keep up with that. And so. That's a thing of the past, but uh, hopefully it uh, pays dividends for both those guys because uh, that's not easy. Yeah, I think CC said that he's not going to make it through the season, and you're saying he made it 20 days. I think he was, he was like, yeah, I'm going to Kansas City. I'm getting barbecue. Uh, me too. <laughs> I'll be doing that too. So vegan um, was not a consideration. Are you, uh, are you sad the Yankees didn't bring back Todd Frazier, the clubhouse guy? Everybody seemed to love him. Great quote. Uh, I think the writers were sad that he's not coming back, but I, I understand where they're coming from there. I, I thought from the beginning of the, in the offseason that he made a whole lot of sense for the Mets. I'm not surprised that he wound up there being obviously a New Jersey guy. We've talked that to death, and uh, he obviously wanted to stay close to home, and that was a perfect fit for him. So I think that uh, thumbs down moves across borough lines. We'll see if they keep that up over there. But nice I, I, I really now. thought – yeah, it could be. I, I guess it is. Um, I, I really thought that Miguel Andujar was going to be the front runner coming in at third base. I think that uh, he showed in a very small sample why the Yankees are excited about his bat. Uh, the defense has been improving. It's something he's worked really hard on. And uh, I, I think the Yankees were intent on giving a shot to these young kids. And uh, particularly in the case of Andujar at third base, I, I think that uh, he's got to be the guy as, as you're looking to Grapefruit League games here. Uh, he, he's certainly somebody that I think the Yankees would like to plug in there, and it really helps them to stay under the uh, the luxury tax threshold as well, and gives them a lot of money to to play with. And so I think they're going to come in under 197. And uh, with the the bats they have, Andujar doesn't have to be great if he's if okay to good. Uh, that's good enough. I think I agree with you that it provides them flexibility uh, salary wise, and also to play Andujar and Glaver Torres. Do you think, though, the Yankees tried to get Frazier on a one-year deal and he just wasn't having it? He wanted two years? I don't know that for a fact, but it wouldn't shock me if they offered that or maybe won an option. But I, I could see that being realistic. Uh, you know, I, I think that the Yankees wanted Frazier back at, at some price. They just weren't willing to go that length. And, and that obviously lends to the offseason next year when Manny Machado is going to be out there. So do they want to tie themselves down to – a guy like Todd Frazier, who, uh, let's be honest, is a veteran guy, and he's been around the game, but uh, I think that his best days are probably behind him uh, when they have Machado and they have Andahar knocking on the door here ready for 2018. So I think you give Andahar a shot to sink or swim this year, and then uh, if it doesn't work out that way, then maybe you go go spend a whole lot of money on Machado next year. I, I think that that had to be part of the thought process going into the, into the winter. I want to talk about the rotation. So when we had you on the podcast last summer, we asked you if the, if Tanaka opts out, what are the Yankees going to do? And keep in mind, this was when he was struggling. You said you didn't yeah. think the Yankees would go after him in free agency. Turns out he didn't opt out. And it, it actually, he made the right decision with the way the free agent market has gone. Uh, but a couple questions. You know, are the Yankees happy he did not opt out? I think they have to be. I, I think that uh, you've got, I think the way that he finished the year, it gives you confidence that he can pick up where he left off. His last regular season start was 
was really great. He's striking out a ton of Blue Jays there. And, and, and then I think he went on the postseason and really showed the ability to raise his game to the next level. So was he holding something back for the end? I, I think that that's certainly possible. Or did he just settle into a good groove? Um, either way, I think that you, you're looking at a, a guy who has proven he can pitch with the injury he has. Um, the money's already spent, so there's nothing you can really worry about that. I think that if, if Tanaka had opted out, uh, and that salary came off the books. I don't think the Yankees would have gone after him very hard. Uh, certainly not at a increased rate or, or an extension, but considering that the deal has been signed already, that's a solid guy you can plug in as your number two. Severino's going to be your ace. You've got Sonny Gray. You've got CeCe Sabathia, Jordan Montgomery in that rotation. That's a pretty good starting five, and it's the same starting five that got them within one win of the World Series last year. So I think the Yankees have to feel pretty good having Tanaka back. It, it certainly beats the alternative. And as you see how difficult it's been to find starting pitching out there, Brian Cashman has been trying all offseason to do it. Uh, to, if they had another vacancy outside of having to re-sign CeCe Sabathia, I think that would have made the challenge uh, twice as hard. I agree with you. I think the rotation's pretty good. It's not the best rotation in the league, but it's good. And it's no. actually the leaders in that rotation are pretty young, which is also a positive. It's we all know someone's going to get injured. Not everyone's going to make 30 starts. So we know that. But were you surprised at how hard or how much interest they showed in guys like Garrett Cole, you Darvish or any other starting pitcher? Because they do have on paper five guys to start the season. Yeah, I'm not, especially considering, especially in the case of Cole, I think that they really wanted to get him and just obviously weren't willing to give up Andujar and Clint Frazier. I think that Clint Frazier was available to Pittsburgh if they'd wanted to do that. Um, no, I'm not surprised. I think that there's some questions about how Severino reacts after the increase in his workload, if there's going to be some kind of hangover there. Uh, Jordan Montgomery was pretty good, uh, very good for a for a rookie, but uh, now he's got a sophomore season coming up, and our hitter's going to adjust to him. How does he adjust back to that? I think there's there's some significant questions. And, and as you mentioned, a team can't really go in thinking they're going to have only five starting pitchers for the year. I think that uh, Larry Rothschild said last week, you're lucky if you get under 10. Uh, so you've got to have those solid choices, and they've got guys. That's why you got Chad Green coming into camp as a starter, and You've got Adam Warren, who's done it, and Luis Sessa is going to be preparing as a starter. And behind that, you've got Chance Adams and Justice Sheffield. And so there is, there are guys who can come up and make starts for this team. But if you can plug in a Garrett Cole, especially dealing from a area of strength where you've got now five outfielders ahead of Clint Frazier, then I think you have to do that. Uh, unfortunately for the Yankees, uh, <laughs> the, the Astros came up with the offer that the Pirates like better. So they are, they're they're comfortable where they are, the Yankees are, but I think they would still add if they could. Chad Green, I think, is really interesting because he prepared all offseason to be a starter. He's going to come into spring as a starter, like you just said. Is there a real competition between maybe him and Montgomery for the fifth spot? I, I guess we'll see, but in my mind, and I think in Chad Green's mind, too, if you gave him some truth serum, he expects to be back in the bullpen and uh, so does Warren. So I, I think that those guys have a pretty good idea of where they're going to go. Uh, Chad Green, it, it was not that he was a failed starter. In a lot of cases like this, you look at a guy and he fails in a rotation and he has to move to the bullpen out of necessity. That wasn't really the case. The case was uh, they needed him in the bullpen. He was excellent there and there was no reason to move him out. So I think that it's easier to prepare as a starter and transition 
to relief than to go the other way. So I think that's what they're going to do with Chad Green. And, you know, if two guys get hurt in spring training, maybe you're forced into a situation where you have to put Chad Green in your rotation and start the year. But I, I think that the Yankees would much prefer to have that elite bullpen, and it really is an elite bullpen. Um, you have a guy like Green who can go multiple innings. He's so valuable there in the back end, and it really reduces the strain on that rotation that we're talking about as uh, – not the best. I mean, it's okay, but it's not the best rotation in the league. And um, if you can get five innings out of those guys and hand it off to the bullpen, you should be okay more nights than not. They handled Green very carefully. I don't think they used him on back-to-back nights. I mean, you, you you might know if they did, if there was one instance, but it certainly was something they tried to avoid. So I don't know if they would. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they would mess around with him and put him as a starter and then flip him back to the to the bullpen. I'm thinking of the Jabba rules and how much that blew up in everyone's face a few years ago. So I, yeah. I think if he once he's in the bullpen, I don't see him moving back. I could see them moving Warren back. He's done it before. He's flip-flopped before. But Chad Green, I just don't see him flip-flopping. Yeah, I would agree. At least not in midseason. I think that you know maybe at, at this point next year we're talking about Chad Green as a starter again, and it could be possible depending on – what the team needs, but I, I really do think that Green's going to open the year in the bullpen. He was too good not to. Uh, they're going to give him a look as a starter. And uh, the thing is with, with these guys, I mean, they pitch pretty similarly out of the bullpen as they would as a starter. So you're using all your pitches, but I think that in Green's case, he's so dominant and he, so many strikeouts. I mean, that was a really special year. I mean, a lot of people were comparing it to Mariano in 96. And uh, when you're making those kind of comparisons, I think that's really tough to take that out of your bullpen and stick in the rotation. I also read something that Justice Sheffield said he was he felt he's pro-ready. I, I don't think he has a shot at the rotation, at least to start the season, but do you think we'll see him uh, midseason maybe? I think it's possible. I think that Chad, uh, I mean, Chance Adams would be the first first guy to come up he would probably come up ahead of Sheffield but I think that Sheffield showed some signs of uh, progress last year you know he had an oblique injury at double a that sidelined him for a little bit but he was able to come back and pitch well in the Arizona Fall League and I think that uh, he's showing people why they're so excited about him I think he off the top of my head I believe he was limited to only 17 starts last year at Trenton so he missed a good chunk of the year uh, that's important development time, and I, I don't think he would make the jump right to the majors. Um, but I think that if he pitches well at AAA, and if there's a need at the big league level, uh, he could certainly make his debut at some point in 2018. But I think that for the Yankees' purposes, they're looking at Sheffield more for 2019. Chance Adams would be your guy for 2018. All right, before we wrap up, I want to mention your book, which I'm sure what you were spending your entire winter on. No off-season for you, right? <laughs> Thank you, yes. Uh, yeah, very busy, a fun project to work on, uh, the Baby Bombers. And uh, we started that sometime in late August, early September. So it was a quick turnaround there to to turn it into a book. But basically, and um, I'll give you a quick rundown on the book. It's uh, how the Derek Jeter Yankees became the Aaron Judge Yankees. And so we go back uh, to 2014. That's how we start the book and kind of take you through it step by step on how Brian Cashman and his lieutenants and everybody in the front office and the organization kind of looked at the end of this dynasty and decided how are we going to rebound here and create a new dynasty and a team that people are really excited about and uh, breaking down, uh, going up, behind the scenes with a lot of the decisions that were made, starting with the Didi Gregorius trade and, and 
we take you to high school and college with guys like uh, Aaron Judge and Gary Sanchez, Luis Severino, Greg Bird, where these guys came from, how they became Yankees, um, what they're made of, what, what, who they are off the field, on the field, and all that good stuff. So it was a lot of fun to really uh, kind of take a trip back and flesh out what was really a very fun 2017 season. I think that people were obviously excited by the, the, these guys. Uh, they loved watching them play. And I think that whether you watched every single game of the 2017 season or, or you only turned them on once in a while, you're going to pick up this book and find out something new that you didn't know about these guys and uh, really just uh, enjoy the season that's coming up because we're seeing the beginning of something special here. It, yeah, it worked out perfectly for you. You said you started the book in, in August? Yeah, um, somebody, I, I guess we started talking about it after the Home Run Derby, and it was initially going to be an exploration of Judge and this rookie season and and who this guy is, this superstar in pinstripes. But I figured there was more of a story to tell here. And so it, it evolved into more of a baby bombers where these guys all came from as a team. And I thought that that was a better way to explore it. And um, so, yeah, this came together definitely after the all-star break. And I started gathering interviews with as many people as I could in the last couple months of the season. And then obviously the team went on to the postseason, and uh, we continued building on the book from there. And um, so I think that we finally put it to bed in late January and it was after the Stanton trade. So we were able to work all that in and the managerial change and Aaron Boone. So this is a pretty up-to-date chronology of where the Yankees are as they head into the 2018 season. And hopefully fans like it a lot. And it just goes to show you how fast the the turnaround, if you want to call it a turnaround, happened. (laughs) It really did. You know, we're talking about, the Jeter's last game in 2015 and, uh, you know, the trade deadline in 2016, the sell-off where Brian Cashman is going to Hal Steinbrenner and saying this team is not good enough to win the World Series. And I think what we should do is sell off some of our higher price or more uh, available assets, guys like Andrew Miller and Carlos Beltran, and, and, and trade them in for guys who can help us win down the road. And uh, it, this really did happen ahead of schedule. You know, 2017 was a year that, you know, as we talk about in the book, uh, there were people coming in saying the Yankees are going to win 79, 80 games in, in 2017. It's going to be a rebuilding year. And it, it turned out to not be that at all. And a lot of it was Aaron Judge exploding and being the best player on the planet in April and having a, a sensational year. But it wasn't all Judge. And and you guys know that as well as I do. Um, a lot of things had to go right for that team to go to the postseason and make the kind of noise that they did in 2017. But now that they were there and got a taste of it, I, I really do think five years from now we're going to look back and say the 2017 team might have been the weakest of the group. I, I think that they're poised to do great things in 18, 19, and beyond. And I, I, that all comes back to how do you build a, a dynasty? And I think that the you're seeing the very beginning of stages of one right here. Good stuff, Brian. Thanks for joining the show. All right, you got it. Thanks for having me. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.